You're listening to the Core Life Training. What is it? Core Life Training Podcast. Of course it is. With Jeff Olson. Hey, what's up, my friends? It's Jeff, the Core Life Training Podcast, where we dig into the Bible. We get down with some killer tunes, cool out with a tasty, tasty drink of choice. Welcome to episode number 13. So I'm a little bit behind on this episode because I was out of town for the whole first half of the week this week. I was away at Wolfpack weekend with my two best friends, Lenny and Chris. Uh, Once a year, we get away for a couple nights. Our wives are amazing. Our kids are amazing to let us go, let us spend the money and have some time away alone. This year, we were at Seaside, Oregon, and we just kind of cooled out in the hot tub and then in the pool and back in the hot tub. Uh, We cracked a ton of jokes, added some awesome new material to the quote book, laughed our faces off, got to talk about life and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's really what that weekend's about. Uh, but we're back now. We are recharged and ready to tear the world a new one. And I am ready for episode number 13. So on to this episode then. I spent the last four episodes introducing you to the key ideas of core one, knowing God deeply in his word. It's one of the things that God wants most, right? God loves being known. He wants to be known personally and truthfully. He's revealed himself in his word so that we can know him. And I gave you a simple plan for knowing God deeply in his word. Now, if you didn't get a chance to download my guide to making the most out of your personal Bible study, you can go to corelifetraining.org slash ebook and download it right now. And I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. So in the next four episodes, I want to break down our second core value, loving God passionately. Now, at the start of this episode, I'm going to tell you my story of struggling with what uh, I had been taught about God and the Christian life, and I was having a hard time, and you'll hear my story, and and when God got this stuff from Scripture through to me, and it took a while, and it took a lot of searching, but when he got it through to me, it changed everything for me, and I'm, I'm being honest, if I could only preach one thing for the rest of my life, it would be the stuff that we cover in the next four episodes, so I trust it's going to be really helpful for you as well. Um, What you're going to hear is live audio that was recorded at a Core 2 class that I taught in Sisters, Oregon at Vast Church, and I'm pretty sure this was in uh, 2017. I had a great time over there. I always have a great time over in Sisters at Vast Church with uh, my good friend Ryan Moffitt and the great people over there who just love the Word and want to study. Uh, So these episodes are going to be a little bit longer than normal because the biblical truths that uh, we go through are just like really too good. I can't really decide what part to leave out, and so I'm just going to include all of it So they're going to be a little bit, maybe 10 minutes longer than normal, and I promise I'm going to make it worth your while. So here we go back to Vast Church in 2017, Core 2, Loving God Passionately. This episode is entitled, God Wants Your Heart. I want you to grab a Bible, grab a notebook, and grab your drink of choice, and let's get down to business. Uh, I want to start the weekend by telling you my story, and it might be your story too, Uh, probably different life details, but... In terms of your heart with Jesus, it may be a similar sounding story. Some of you know uh, that I was um, not really raised in a Christian home. I was raised going to church once in a while with my aunt and uncle when I'd spend the night with my cousin. Um, I went to Bible camp every summer just because it was an easy, cheap way to get the kids out of the house for a week. Uh, I did love Bible camp. It was, you know, girls there and water skiing and games, and it was fun. Um, And I always 
more or less believed the stuff about Jesus. I, I didn't disagree with the stuff about Jesus, but it was never my thing. Uh, at 12 years old, started doing drugs and uh, was just a freak of a little heavy metal punk rock kid um, doing my thing and still going to Bible camp every summer because it was fun and there were girls there. Uh, and I, I went the, the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Uh, I told the guys in Legion of Doom, my band, that we, they should go to Bible camp with me and they thought I was dumb and shouldn't. So they were like, you go to Bible camp. So I did, and not, not at all expecting to be saved, not at all expecting to have a life change. I expected to meet some girls from around the Pacific Northwest, do some water skiing, have some fun, and come home and enjoy rocking with Legion of Doom. In the middle of the week, the Lord saved me. It, there was no gospel message. It was, there was no, I didn't have to pray about it. There was no conversation. I didn't go talk to a counselor. Uh, I walked out of a meeting that we were in and, it was as if the Lord said, yeah, this is kind of your last shot at this thing, and you're mine now. And I was like, yep, I'm in. And I was born again in that instant, and I knew it. I mean, I knew that I was transformed. Uh, and I, I knew that I wanted to share what I had just received with Legion of Doom and all the freak kids that I knew needed what I just experienced. So I went back to school. I uh, went back to share with Legion of Doom, and they all thought I got brainwashed and, and told me so. Uh, I, I left my sophomore year of high school with hair kind of down in the middle of my back, and ev- everybody knew who I was and what I was about. Um, I came back to school with my head shaved and a big giant Bible and a big cross around my neck. And I, I was fired up, like I was ready to go for Jesus, right? Um, so I showed up at this little Nerd City youth group, and they were all nerdy, and they were afraid of me because they knew me from school, and I had to convince them that I was one of them. And eventually we became all good friends and, and all like that. So I, I, was, I was ready to go for Jesus, and I'm like, okay, what, what do I do? And uh, so, you know, at first I learned you got to read your Bible, and so I started reading my Bible, and I had a little notebook, and a, uh, I, I started with the Living Bible. You know, it's this total kid's Bible, but I was 16, and that was the one Bible I had, so I'm going to study this thing. And then they told me I had to pray, and so I would try to pray, and uh, there were a lot of things that I used to do that I wasn't supposed to do anymore, so I tried to not do all those things, and there were a lot of new good, good boy things that I was supposed to do that I, I tried to do. And it, it didn't take long, and, and nobody taught this to me out loud. But I, I ran into a, a big problem in, in my Christian life, um, not too far into it. Because um, uh, nobody taught this to me out loud explicitly. Uh, but, but real quickly, somewhere along the way, I, I learned checklist Christianity. And my checklist looked something like this. There were some good things that you're supposed to do. And at the church that I was at, um, you're supposed to read your Bible every day. Uh, you know, at one point, somebody said 10 verses a day every day when I was a little kid. And then, you know, as I grew up, it was supposed to be like maybe 15 minutes a day or half an hour a day or whatever. Um, you're supposed to pray every day. Well, how long? Some people said 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. Some people quoted Jesus when he said to the disciples, can't you stay awake for one hour and pray? So you're supposed to pray for an hour a day. Like, and I'm, you know... I'm a 17-year-old kid trying to pray for an hour. I'm just like, huh, okay. If that's what it means to be a good Christian, then I'm in. And I'm supposed to go to church at the right times, and I'm supposed to listen to, listen to Christian music, even though back then, oh, man, Christian music was horrible. Uh, but I'm in it for Jesus, so here we go. Like, I'm going to try to... So, you know, there's all the good things that you were supposed to do, and there were lots of bad things that you weren't supposed to do. You can't listen to all that uh, punk rock music, and you can't smoke all that weed and you can't swear and you can't make out with your girlfriend and you can't on and on and on down the line, right? Just all the things you can't do. The way I, I got the, the sense was the better I did my good list, 
the more happy God was with me. And the more I screwed up on the bad list, the, the I wouldn't say mad, but the more uh, disappointed maybe God was with me. Can you see the problem that I might have been having as a 17 or 18-year-old believer? Um, I, I can't win this game. I never did the good things good enough. You know, if I missed reading my Bible a day, oh man. If I didn't pray for a whole hour, oh man. And I always found, see, you notice there's one check on the, on the good list and all the bad ones are checked, right? I always found my way somehow back to, you know, all the sins that we're not supposed to do. And again, nobody said out loud, this is the way it was. It was just the vibe I got. That if I did my good list well, God would be happy. And if I did my bad list poorly, God would be kind of bent out of shape. And so I went from a kid that was in it for Jesus. I was ready to go. I was fired up. And it didn't take long for me to really um, kind of come to a point where I felt lost. Not lost. That's maybe an overstatement. Confused. Really confused. Because I couldn't win the game. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not really a compliant, right? I'm, I'm a firstborn. And uh, I break family systems. That's what I do. Uh, my, my third-born child is a, is a compliant. You know, she's just easygoing. Whatever's happening, she'll just flow with it, no problem. If I don't understand it, if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm just out. And I, I met a lot of compliant Christian kids that were just trying to do this real well. And I came to a spot where I was like, well, I can't win this game, and if this is the game, then I just quit. I'm just going to go party. I'm going to go do my thing because I can't win this one, and I'll just deal with Jesus later. So I just kind of came to a, a, a confused spot where I really was just asking the Lord, what, what in the world do you want from me? Could you just boil this down? Because <laughs> everybody's got a list. Bible's full of stuff. God, could you just boil down for me what it is uh, that you want from me? So there I was, a confused young man wanting to follow Christ and not exactly sure how I could win at the game that I, I felt like I was picking up. There I was, a, you know, a relatively confused pastor, <laughs> teaching the Bible the best that I knew how and as I was trained in school and uh, trying to help people follow God as best I, I could, but still not absolutely certain here uh, on, on what was going on. Very certain that what I had picked up on was not right. And so many young people would come to me just struggling with the same issues, right? Feeling like the Lord's distant from them, feeling like they're just not winning with God. And I was you know, giving them pastoral answers while I was searching for answers. Thankfully, uh, Jesus was asked the question that I was wondering about. God, what, what, do, you, what do you want from us? Uh, somebody asked him that. If you have Bibles, you can look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 38. I, I, again, I wish somebody would have showed this to me when I was 16. Like The very question I had, actually Jesus answered it, and it was in the text. And somehow in all my Bible reading, uh, it's not that I missed this verse. I just read over it and it never was explained to me uh, the right way. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 36 to 38. This is where uh, a teacher of the law came and asked Jesus a question. There, There was one religious group that didn't believe in the resurrection. They came and started asking Jesus Bible questions and theology questions. They were trying to trick him and fool him and see if they could stump him. And Jesus just blew them out of the water. Uh, a rival religious group, the Pharisees, came along and they thought it was funny that the Sadducees got blown out of the water and they took their best crack at Jesus. One of, one of those guys, uh, a teacher of the law, came and asked a question, not because he wanted to learn anything. This is Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, that's a, a teacher of the law, asked him a question, testing him. 
So it's not that he cared. It's not that he wanted to learn from Jesus. He was trying to catch him in saying something wrong. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Another way of putting that is, what does God want most? If it's the greatest commandment, right? If God said, do this, and it's the greatest one, that means it's the one he wants the most. So another way to put this question is, Jesus, what does God want most from us? Now, that's my question, right? Like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And Jesus said to him, you shall do your good boy list and not do your bad boy list with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So what your text says? If your text says that, throw it out the window and we'll get you a new one. And he said to him, you, will, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What, is, what does God want from me? Well, Jesus said the greatest thing, the greatest commandment is that you'd love God. God wants your heart above all things. Now, I had read that commandment before, lots of times. I went to Bible college and seminary and taken three degrees in this stuff. Like, I, it's not like I was unaware of this verse, but I had maybe misunderstood what Jesus was getting at. God, God wants your heart above all things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, someone might say, uh, wait a second, isn't loving God the same thing as obeying him? Does, like, doesn't loving God mean obeying him? Um, some smart Bible guy in the room will say, hey, uh, Jeff, I get the idea that God wants you to love him with all your heart, but Jesus said that loving him means obeying him. John 14, 15, let's look at this. Jesus says, if you love me, what? What does your text say? Okay, yours says you will obey what I command? You will keep my commands, right? Is that all, what all your texts say? You'll keep my commands, right? Yeah, literally the text says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. See, Jeff, I mean, I understand that Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, but if you love the Lord, it means you'll obey him. So get that checklist right back out and get working on it. That's how it was ever taught to me. If you love God, you'll obey him. So, you know, DC Talk said love is a verb. It's, you know, it's, it's something you do. It's an action and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was taught that Jesus' statement was an equation, that love equals obedience. Now, if it's an equation, you should be able to flip it backwards, and it should still be true, right? So if you flip this equation over, you, would be, you should be able to say, to obey is to love. Now, is that still true? The answer is no, because you obey people you hate all the time, or you have obeyed people you can't stand all the time, right? You've had teachers or professors that you didn't like, but they gave you a syllabus. Remember back in school? They gave you assignments. They gave you homework. You didn't like them. You, didn't, you certainly didn't love them. Your heart might have been hard towards them, but guess what? You needed the grade. You wanted the credit. You were paying for it. So what did you do? You went home and you did what they said. Some of you have bosses or have had bosses that you don't particularly appreciate. Your heart's not fond of them in any way, shape, or form. And yet, when your boss says, I need you to get out and do this, or I need this on my desk, what do you do? You get it done. I, I worked at a, do you, do you all remember Sea Galley? Some of you are, I mean, you're old enough to remember Sea Galley. At least on the west side of the mountains where, and up in the Seattle area where I grew up, there's a restaurant called Sea Galley, Stuart Anderson, Black Angus. That sound? So it's the, it'd, be, it'd be like the seafood version of that, okay? And in high school, I got a job at Sea Galley as a dishwasher. So I would, my, my shifts were every Sunday night I had to work from four till close. And then I either worked Friday or Saturday night. So that's, you know, I was a student doing some sports. 
So those are my shifts. Friday or Saturday night, four to close, and then Sunday night, four to close. Now, guess when close was for a dishwasher? At, see, so at 11 o'clock, when it was closing time, what were the waiters and waitresses doing? They were having drinks and counting tips. Guess what the dishwashers were doing? We were picking up glasses from the bar. I mean, I was in it until 1.30, easily. I had, I had a boss that, I swear, failed right out of junior college. I mean, just didn't even pass his first semester. I, I'm not sure. The guy was an idiot. He was a moron. He didn't know how to manage. He wasn't good at working with people. He didn't treat us well. And I couldn't stand the guy. I could not stand the dude. And I, you know, I would be back there washing dishes for hours at a time. You start at four, dinner rush comes. And you know, your fingers are pruny. And there's tartar sauce and ketchup up underneath your fingernails and fish pieces. And he's this fool who I can't stand is over there telling me to go pick up the next set of bar dishes. And what am I doing? Okay, <laughs> off I go to the bar. To p- you can obey people that you hate their guts. So this cannot possibly be an equation. I was taught it. Nobody said this is an equation, but I was taught this as an equation, that love is the same thing as obedience. The problem is obedience is not the same thing as love because you can obey people that you can't stand, and we've all done it. The problem is that people misunderstand Jesus' statement as an equation when in reality what it is is a conditional statement. It starts with the word if, right? If, then, conditional statement. If you love me, if your heart is filled with warmness and fondness and desire and delight and joy and valuing and treasuring of me, if your heart loves me, if that condition is fulfilled, then guess what? You'll find yourself more obedient than you even want to be. You'll find yourself obeying God in ways that right now you don't want to obey God in. We do weird things when our hearts get wrapped up. I mean, men promise their entire lives to one woman. I don't want you to think that through for a minute. There's four billion women on this planet, and the one you married, like really, she's the best one out there? Like of all of them, honestly? Yes. Yes, of course she is, right? And, and, there's, a, and there's an honest and genuine moment, there's an honest and genuine moment where we promise our lives to that one woman, not out of the logic of it. The logic of it doesn't make sense. Four billion women, this one here that I met in Olympia, Washington of all places is the best one out there for me, really. We don't make that decision because of the logic of it. It's because our hearts get messed up in the thing. We fall in love and we do stuff. You know, when I was 18 years old, the idea of promising my whole life to one woman sounded like the stupidest thing in the world. Why would you do that? Like there's four billion of them out there, right? But then you fall in love and it makes all the sense in the world. Jesus is right in terms of the condition. If your heart is in love with God, oh yeah, obedience is not a problem. I do all kinds of things for my wife and my children, uh, not because it's on a checklist, but just I I love them. Nobody has to hold me accountable to feed my kids and get them clothes, right? And hey, feed your kids three times a day. We'll get, we got an accountability group that's going to work with you on that. Like, we do that with Jesus all the time. I never have done that with my kids. I, I've, never had, I've never been part of a training seminar where they taught me how to share about my wife four times in a week. You know? Make sure you tell people about your wife. and I just do. You, know? like, you don't even have to believe in wives, and I'll still tell you about it. Like, you can, it's fine with me. 
because I, I love her. Uh, so John 14, 15 is true as a conditional statement, the way Jesus said it. Right? If you love me, you'll find yourself more obedient probably than you even want to be right now. It's not true as an equation. And I know I learned, and maybe you kind of got the vibe that somehow love equals obedience. So I would say, ha-ha, smart guy, who said, ha-ha, smart guy, Jeff. What about John 14, 15? I would say, ha-ha, John 14, 15, exactly. Makes my point. (laughs) That Jesus wants your heart, that God wants your heart above all things. Because if he has your heart above all things, guess what? He's got all your life. I find it really interesting that we have two different definitions of love. So in the real world, love is a heart issue, isn't it? It's called, uh, the, in the old days, they would call it an affection. Affections really are those deep, deep-seated versions of emotions. They're deep-seated feelings. And in the real world, love is a feeling. And you all remember falling in love at some point in your life, right? I, I met Brenda at Black Lake Bible Camp uh, 25 years ago this weekend. We, we met, you know, I was a 19-year-old stupid kid who just thought he was something special. And I was going to help with this junior high youth camp. And she came with her church to help with the junior high youth camp. And I didn't know her, uh, she didn't know me, and I remember looking across the room going, oh, uh, that's exactly what I'm talking about right there. And we spent uh, an afternoon at a ski lodge while the kids skied, and we just talked for about three or four hours, and I was, it was over for me. I mean, I'm not lying, it was just over for me. And she lived in Vancouver, and I lived in the Seattle area, so like, we, we left the weekend. Uh, I was going to be coming down to, Van- to Portland to go to Bible college that fall. So this was February. And I wanted her, back then you had to get phone numbers. You remember this? You had to get phone numbers. There was no email, no anything like that. So I wanted her phone number and her address, but she, I, I found out she was a couple years older than me. So I was 19 and she was 22. And the gal that she came to this camp with was the wife of my former youth pastor. And the last Heidi knew of me, I was a punk kid. And I thought, oh, I don't have any shot with Brenda at all. I'm sure she's telling Brenda what a loser I was. Because I was a loser when Heidi knew me and, so I really wanted Brenda's phone number so bad, and I just was not going to ask for it. There was just no way. And uh, the morning of the end of the retreat, Sunday morning, she came up and she said, hey, you're uh, coming down to Multnomah in the fall. Why don't, why don't we change numbers? And uh, when you come down, I'll show you around. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, I tried to play it super cool. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but inside, man, it was just like the hallelujah chorus was, right? So I, we exchanged numbers. And we drive away, and we're driving all the way back up to uh, Enumclaw, where I live, about an hour away, around an hour and a half away from where I lived. And it struck me, and I panicked. It was like, oh my gosh, she probably doesn't like me. She's probably just trying to be nice to the stupid kid that's going to come down. So uh, there's no way I was going to call her or write her a letter, but I wanted to so bad, but there's just no way. And by Tuesday of that week, I had gotten a letter from her, and it said, Thanks for, sp- I got to speak at the retreat, and she said, thanks for speaking. She's, a, she's kind of a new believer, and she's like, I just really appreciated the way you talked. It was just kind of, and she comes from my background, too, so she's like, I really get where you're coming from, and I just appreciate it. And, and it, it was just kind of just forward enough for me to get the idea that this might go well for me. So I always try to tell young ladies, you know, let the guys lead in the relationship. You don't want to be chasing them down. But you can do them the favor of at least giving them a clue that it might go good for them if they were to pursue you. And she gave me just enough of a clue. So I wrote her back and said, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. I love teaching. I hope that's why I want to get in youth ministry and blah, 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 blah. And you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. (laughs) 
Skills right there, right? Skill, yeah, real smooth. So I say that in the real world, love is this affection, right? And so we lived a long way away, and there was no 10 minute phone call cards back then. You remember those? This is before that. So, you know, you're, you're looking at 35 cents a minute or I mean, whatever phone companies charge. So we didn't talk on the phone much. We actually wrote letters for uh, several months. And I just missed her. I, I couldn't wait for the letters. I thought about her a lot. You know, that's a heart level thing. That's love in the real world. And somehow when we get into church, love is just do what God says. Just do what he says. Love is a verb. Love's an action. It's not a feeling. Love's a commitment. No, it isn't. <laughs> not first, anyway. So I, I just find it interesting that we have two definitions of love. One in, in the real world, it's a, it's a very heartfelt uh, affection. It's warm. It's about value and treasure and joy and desire and delight. And then in church, it's very cold. It's very action-oriented. It's very uh, just just sort of do what God said, and that's really all, all he wants out of you. And uh, that's not true, but that's the vibe I got. And maybe it's the vibe uh, you got somewhere along the way as well. The truth is that love for God is no different. And I want to show you some scriptures. I, I want you to hear the heart in, in the scriptures. These are probably scriptures you've read over maybe several times. If you're clicking through your Bible, read through you know, three chapters a day or whatever. I'm sure you've gone over these. But I, I, want, I want to just read them, and I want you to just listen for the heart. Uh, the heart of it, okay? Um, so let's look, we'll start in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8. And this is in the context of the Lord promising that he would bring Israel back from exile. He would deliver his people back. And Isaiah in verse 7, the, the prophet is really reflecting on that promise that God will one day bring his people back and redeem them. The way of the righteous is smooth, O upright one. Make the path of the righteous level. Lord, as you bring your people back, make it a smooth path. Verse eight, indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited eagerly for you. Do you remember ever missing someone that you love? Do you remember just missing them so badly? When Brenda and I were dating and I was at Bible college, she went to uh, Germany with the Army Reserves. The Reserves got called up for the first desert storm. And she went to an army hospital and replaced a unit that went to Saudi Arabia to support the troops that were in the first uh, Desert Storm War. And she was going to be gone for six months. And then they were guaranteed another six-month tour of duty for sure. And, you know, I'm this love-struck 20-year-old at Bible college failing classes over it. I mean, I'm getting Ds in classes because I'm just tripping out missing her. It was a dollar a minute to college. And we spent $1,200 on, on phone calls. We would call once a week. And we spent $1,200 in three and a half months. Uh, and I didn't have $1,200 to spend on phone calls, for sure. And I, I, you know, I, I remember I would go home from school, and there was a, a horse field out by the house that I, I lived in, this, this family that I lived with. There was a horse field. And I would go for long walks at night, and I would cry, and I would pray. And it was real hard, because back then, like, you know, I was guaranteed not to see her for a year. And then at school at Multnomah, they were having panel discussions with professors on whether this was the beginning of Armageddon. Like, is this the beginning of the end times? And I'm at home wrestling with whether I will ever see Brenda again. Lord, if Jesus comes back, will I meet her again? Like, what if the rapture happens and the Lord takes her from Germany and me from here? Like, will I ever meet her again? Right? And so I'm tripping out over this stuff. You laugh. 
it's hilarious. It's hilarious. You can laugh. You can laugh because you can relate. You've, you've missed somebody that badly. And I remember I was supposed to go visit her for spring break. And so we bought plane tickets and the whole deal. We were going to travel around Germany and visit castles and the whole thing. And, and she didn't know this, but I had bought an engagement ring and I was going to propose at a castle in Germany. And so she called me, uh, I think it was Saturday. I was supposed to leave on Thursday. She called me Saturday morning and she's like, I got bad news and I got good news. And I'm like, oh man, bad news first. She goes, you can't come. Crushing. I mean, I'm just stunned. She goes, the good news is I'm coming home in three weeks. All right? And I mean, I get, I get choked up just even telling the story. So, you know, three weeks, I just can't wait. And I, I drove to Fort Lewis, uh, got there, you know, at three in the morning because their plane was coming in at 5.30 or whatever, and you had to do all the check-in stuff. And I'm, I'm standing on the tarmac. It's freezing cold. I'm on the tarmac with hundreds of family members. And, you know, I'm just seeing soldiers get off the plane and find their children and the whole deal. And Brenda is, like, nowhere to be found. And, of course, she sat in the back of the plane, idiot. Just like, come on. <laughs> and I'll just never forget watching her come down the stairs of the plane. And, you know, I, I ran over kind of between people. And this was the second most intense hug in the history of hugging. If you've ever seen Princess Bride, you know, it's like the most intense, passionate kiss. And the, this was like the second most passionate hug in the history of hugging. You remember missing someone that badly? This is, Isaiah says, indeed, we've waited eagerly for you. We cannot wait to return to you. Your name and even your memory or your renown or your fame is the desire of our souls. Lord, the thing my soul desires is that your name and your fame like would be seen and understood and loved. I love your name and I love your fame. It's the desire of my, do you hear the heart? of that. It's just easy to read over that stuff. But that's a, that's a guy that loves someone. He misses someone and he values and treasures and desires someone. How about Psalm 27? We'll, we'll, we'll run through some scriptures here. And again, just listening for the, the heart of it. Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I asked from the Lord that I will seek. Hey, you got one prayer for God. You only get one. What's it going to be? I'll tell you my one thing. Like the lot was about 467 million last week, right? Like just one time, Lord, just one time. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. God, the one thing I wish for and pray for most is that I could live in the temple for the rest of my life. God, I just want to live at church so that I can be near you. Are you joking me? Who thinks that? No, not, not one of you rolled out of the rack this morning with that prayer. Not one. Not me, not you, not nobody. But you do remember having one wish, don't you? Do you remember ever feeling like, if I could just, God, if I could just have this one thing, God, would you heal? Would you heal me, my wife, my kid? Carrying on with the Brenda theme here. I remember laying in bed at night during that whole season while she was gone and praying earnestly. And I, like I meant it, and I was old enough to mean it. You know, I was 20, 20, 20 years old. God, I would give anything if I could just be with her for 30 seconds. Could you just teleport me for 30 seconds, right? I mean, it just sounds ridiculous, but that's how I felt. We all know what it's like to just go, God, there's just one thing. And this guy, he says, the one thing is that I, I could just actually live in the temple, so that I could behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. God, I just want to live there so that I can think about you. 
God, I wish I could live at church so I could think about you 24-7. I don't have to worry about my job, my family. I don't have to worry about money or bills. I just want to be able to think about you all the time. That's my one prayer. That's about like number 472 to me. On my list of prayers, I, I wish it were higher, but that's a person that is in love. Psalm 42, verses one and two. As the deer pants for water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for, for God, for the living God. Lord, I'm, I'm dying for you. I'm thirsty for you. When will I come and appear before the Lord? God, when do I get to be with you again? Oh man, it's Sunday, gotta go to church again. I mean, not that any of you think that going to vast, obviously, other, other churches for sure, but I cannot wait. Lord, I'm dying to get back with you. Uh, Psalm 63, verse one. I'm, I'm gonna keep kicking the horse here. I think you're getting the point, but I'm just gonna kick the horse a little longer just because I'm that way. Oh God, you are my God, and I will seek you earnestly. You know what that word earnestly means? Anyone? I'm not messing around. I mean business on this seeking God thing. Now, we, we all mean business about a lot of stuff. You, you have your thing that you mean business about. I have my things. I mean, some of us mean business about TV shows that we love or uh, music or uh, activities or sports, um, fantasy football, or, uh, hey, I know. We have things that we're earnest about that we care about, that we, we go after with intensity. And we're not letting stuff get in the way. Okay, look, I know you want to meet with me. I know I could be doing this or that. Look, I'm doing this, and that appointment is scheduled, and nobody else is getting a piece of that time. It's fantasy football time. I got an hour, and I'm sitting down, and I'm working on it. It's concert night, and my favorite band is coming to Portland. And I'm going, and you want to hang out? You're coming to the show with me then. That's the... You're coming to a metal show. That's what you're doing if you want to hang out with me that night because that's what I'm doing. We know what it is to be intent and earnest about things. And the psalmist says, I, I, have, I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. This guy's in the desert and he hasn't had anything to drink and he's dying and he says, that's how I feel about you, O Lord. Now, again, if you're just clicking through your Bible read through, it's all good and well, but it's easy to just miss the heart level of this, right? And if you're listening to it on, on, on audio, Bible on audio, the guy is not going, God, I'm seeking you earnestly. He's not talking that way. He goes, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. Oh, that's moving. All right, one last one. I want to kick this horse. It's dead, but I'm just going to... I'm going to nail it one more time. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. And then also we'll, we'll do verse 10 as well. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. He's thinking about the, the temple. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. I could not wait to get to the temple because that's where the Lord dwells. And it's not even that I get to see the Lord in the temple because I'm not the high priest, so I don't get to go in there. But just to be near, just to know this is the place that God lives, man. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Skip down to verse 10. For one day in your courts is better than what? A thousand. Did you guys sing that song? Right? We sang that song in, when Ryan was in college. Group. We sang that song to death. And we lied every time we sang it. 
We lied every time we sang it. Really? God, I would rather spend one day in church with you than a thousand anywhere else. Penthouse in Vegas. One day in church is way better than that. I mean, you pick your place. A thousand days in that place, and you say, I'd trade one in church for that. No, you wouldn't. We sang it, but this guy means it. And I, like I shared about Brenda, I, I felt like I would have traded anything for 30 seconds. That's a heart-level issue. And this is how the psalmist feels. about I'd trade a thousand days anywhere else, Lord, for one day with you. So what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is to say that even in Scripture, the heart of man towards God is filled with affection, right? It's filled with desire and longing and joy and value and treasure. That's what love is in the Bible. It's not a different thing. Uh, somehow this divide here of in the real world, love is this heartfelt thing. It's very warm and personal. And in church, it's just do what God says. That's false. That's actually a lie. That, that's not true. I just showed you in the Bible that love is a very heartfelt, a very warm and passionate thing for God. All right, dig it, man. So in a live class, we have a lot of time for questions and conversation, and that has to get edited out, obviously, for a podcast. But if you have any questions about what I'm covering, if you feel like I'm not being clear, or you just want to talk about what we're going through, you can email me at jeff at corelifetraining.org, or you can message me at the Core Life Training Facebook or Instagram pages. I would love to catch up with you and, and hear what you're thinking and what kinds of questions you have. Uh, The last thing I want to remind you about in this episode is the brand new live class I'm going to be teaching here in Gresham on the book of Isaiah. It's three hours, 6 to 9 p.m., Sunday night, November 17th. Uh, I want to help you understand how the book of Isaiah fits into the story of Scripture, its key themes, and what it has to do with real life. And I know it's going to be super helpful for you, and I would love it if you jumped in on it with me. Registration is online, and people are already signing up for it. Seating's limited to 35 people, so you want to jump in and and get a seat soon. And if you register by October 24th, you'll get 30% off the regular price. So you can go to corelifetraining.org slash Isaiah for all the details and registration, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. Thanks for checking out this episode. Don't forget, after the outro is the drink of choice in your metal moment if you dig it. My name is Jeff Olson. I teach the Bible, and I will check you later. For those of you sticking around for this week's Drink of Choice and Metal Moment, thanks for doing that. Man, I love sharing this stuff and appreciate any of you that stick around after the outro for it. This week's Drink of Choice was supposed to be last week's Drink of Choice, Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout by New Holland Brewing. The bottle says it's roasted, malty, and smooth, and they're telling the truth about that. It's a pretty firm beer at 11.02 ABV but still super tasty and easy to drink, right? This has become one of my favorite uh, stouts here recently. Uh, like I was just was joking the other day about how every stout that I seem to have becomes one of my favorites. So like I have 14 top three all-time stouts. Uh, but this one's a really good one and you want to check it out if you get a chance. Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout by New Holland Brewing. And your metal moment is coming from Morganthus. Now I know I just played them a couple episodes ago, But I've been jamming these guys a ton lately. Seriously, I just keep putting them on replay. I'm wearing the record out. 
So I'm going to share another track with you from this record. It's called Phosphorus off their record titled Mortal. Hey, and by the way, if you have a beer that you'd like me to review or check out for the drink of choice, or if you have a band that you think I need to listen to and check out as well, and you want a featured in the metal moment, email me or hit me on Facebook or Instagram. I would love to hear what you're drinking and what you're listening to as well. All right. So once you grab your drink of choice, kick back, crank this one up and I'll check you later. Thank you. 